Our scripture reading this morning, I'm going to the book of Isaiah. I trust you have a copy of the scriptures with you. Isaiah and the 41st chapter, Isaiah 41, and reading the first 14 verses. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Isaiah chapter 41, and commencing to read at verse 1. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him, so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith. And he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Fear not. You worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. 
I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. May it please the Lord to bless to us this portion of his word this morning. Let us pray together. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Our Father, we come into your presence this morning, and we do so with reverence, for you are not like we are. You are mighty, you are majestic, you are the Holy One of Israel. And so we dare not come flippantly into your presence, but with fear, with reverence, and with a sense of awe that you are the God who rules over all and that is pleased to reveal yourself to the children of men, that you're pleased to come and strengthen those who are weak, to uphold those who are failing, to lead those who do not know which road to take. You are the almighty God who rules the nations, before whom kings and princes and politicians and premiers are as nothing, who when men and leaders rise up against you and would seek to shake their fists, their fist in your face, you laugh at their littleness, their nothingness. You are almighty and thus to be praised. And we come to you, our Father, repentantly, for we have not loved you this week as we ought. We have not hungered and thirst after you. We have not always set you on our right hand. We have not always taken time to acknowledge you and to give you thanks. And so, our Father, in light of who you are, and your mercies to us. We come humbly before you, confessing our sinfulness, confessing that our hearts are prone to wander, prone even to leave the God we confess we love. Our Father, pardon our iniquities, cleanse us from all our unrighteousness, for while we come with reverence and while we come in repentance, we come with rejoicing. For you spared not your son, but gave him up for us all. That we have a mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. And the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so we would come to you in Jesus' name. We would come to you because of his perf perfect person and that 
wondrous work at Calvary, where he stood in the place of sinners, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we would come to you with a holy boldness, calling you our Father who art in heaven. And Father, we thank you that you deal with us in that manner so tenderly, so graciously, with what patience. And therefore, Father, we, we come together to worship you this day. And we come to remember those who are not with us. Some are sick. There are those, our Father, who are grieving. There are those who are traveling. And we would commend them, each one, to you. You know why they are not here. As we were singing, you know their name. You know their address. You know where they live. And, oh, our Father, we pray that you would be their portion this day as well that they might know you on their right hand, that they might know you meeting them where they have need, that they might acknowledge you this day and give you praise and worship, that together we might rejoice in you, for you command us to rejoice in the Lord always. We commit our Father, our nation to you, and we plead for mercy. Forgive our unrighteousness. Forgive our arrogance. Forgive our indifference. Oh, Father, look down from heaven, your dwelling place, and in mercy, will you not come and turn hearts to yourself? Will you not humble the mighty in the dust, that they might seek help from above, that they might lead us in the paths of righteousness? Oh, Father, have mercy upon this nation, we ask, and give wisdom to we who are its citizens, that we might think your thoughts after you that we might be wise in our decision-making and humbly walk before you, being able to give a reason for the hope that we have to those who are yet in darkness. So come, almighty King, and rule us, we pray. And guide us now as we attend to your word. Grant, dear Spirit of God, that illumination of our understanding, that we might see something fresh, that, our Father, we may be fed with the bread from heaven, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dr. Wilbur Chapman used to tell this story about a little shepherd boy in Switzerland. It's a story set probably about a hundred years or so ago. He tells of a traveler to Switzerland who met the boy and told him of the, the good and the great shepherd and how he had given his life for his sheep. And he tried to teach the, the little shepherd boy the 23rd Sam, but the little boy uh, could not read or write. Trying to get his message across to the boy, the, the traveler came up with an idea. Just take the first five words, and you will have one word for each finger on your hand, he said. So the little boy looked at his, his fingers, and he gave each one of them a word. The Lord is my shepherd. Some years later, the traveler was in the same region, and he sought for the boy. 
he found the boy's mother who told him the sad news that the little shepherd had died. And then she asked the traveler, are you the man who taught him something about his fingers? Yes, he replied. And the mother said, my boy just before he died told me to tell you that if you ever came this way again, he died holding up the fourth finger of his hand. What did the fourth finger represent? The little word, my. My. The good shepherd had found him. And he had discovered the good shepherd, and he was his own. And this is the heart of the 23rd Psalm. You have your Bible come back to me for this portion as we continue to consider it this morning. The message of the 23rd Psalm is one of possession. The Lord is my shepherd. I am his, and he is mine the shepherd owns me as his own, for he has purchased me, he protects me, he provides for me, he preserves me. He does possess me. But as the psalm develops and unfolds, you discover its message is also one of progression. Not just possession, but progression, both grammatically and experientially. Because you will notice as the psalm begins, it begins and David begins with the, the personal pronoun he. Psalm 23 and verse 1, let me refresh your memory. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But when you get down to verse 4, something happens. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you. You are with me. The he becomes you. The psalmist progresses from talking about the shepherd to talking with the shepherd. And when does that happen? When does the psalmist speak with the Lord, the shepherd? When we do, that is, when the days are dark, when disaster strikes, when our dreams are shattered, when disease impacts, and when death confronts, 
that when our world crumbles around us and we cannot see a way ahead, in the midst of chaos and confusion, when there are tears and trials, here then is our hope and stay. You are with me. When do we pray most? When do we pray with the greatest intensity? When do we pray with the greatest earnestness, my friends? When everything collapses round and about us, when we find ourselves in the valley of great darkness. There are three truths I want you to take away from this text of verse 4 this morning. And the first is this. The valley is where our faith is tested. The valley is where our faith is tested. You notice, first of all here, that that there is a change of region. The green pastures and the quiet waters have given way to a valley of great darkness. The valley of the shadow of death. Now, some scholars believe that David had in mind a notorious valley that lay between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. This particular valley was strewn with, uh, with dangerous gullies. It was a place of great darkness and so a place of great danger for any sheep. But whatever the case, the reality of such value, uh, valleys was always in the mind of a shepherd was a place he, he, he feared to go. So in the psalm, there's a, a change from pleasant pastures to present dangers. And with that comes a change in perception. Because you see, up to this, this, this point in time, where has the shepherd been? Well, he's, he, he's been out front. He's leading the sheep. And so what did the sheep see? Well, they saw the back of the shepherd. Their eyes were fixed on him. They were following after him. They were focused upon him. But now a change takes place, a change of perception. Their eyes have grown dim because of the darkness The figure of the shepherd is obscured by a thick felt darkness. He is nowhere to be seen. If you've ever been down in a cave at Bakken or the Janolan Caves in the Blue Mountains, you'll know what I'm speaking about. It's a deep darkness. You can't even see the hands in front of your face. It's a darkness that you can almost feel. So the sheep sense a feeling of acute dread and desertion. There's no beam of light here. There's no sign of the shepherd here. They feel all alone. So now, where is the shepherd? Listen to the words of David. You are with me. What's the lesson? 
Well, in verses 2 and 3, the sheep walk by sight with both vision and provision. Tangible expressions of the shepherd's presence and care. But now, we graduate to the school of faith amidst the shadows and sorrows of an awful, terrifying reality. To use C.S. Lewis's terms, we have now come to enter Shadowlands, the arena of sanctification, the fires of purification, the ministry of mortification. Some of you will probably know the name of Dr. Helen Rosevere. She spent more than 20 years as a doctor and medical educator and missionary in what was, first of all, the Belgian Congo, and then became Zaire, and now the Democratic Republic of Congo. She tells her story in two books. The first one is entitled, Give Me This Mountain, words that were taken from that audacious, daring faith of Caleb, recorded in Joshua 14. Helen was a, a faithful servant of God who gave unsparingly to the, the, the people of Congo. But in the 1960s, the Simba Rebellion took place, and many, many were slaughtered and killed. How was Helen Rosevear re, re, rewarded for her faithful service and her holy walk? She was captured. She was tortured. She was abused. And she was ripped by the rebels. Helen survived that terrible ordeal. And she went on to write about what happened afterwards. The reconstruction of the whole work and the whole ministry within Belgian Congo. And her second book was entitled, He Gave Us a Valley. He Gave Us a Valley. My friends, both mountain tops and deep, shadowy valleys are places that our Lord inhabits and employs, and in order that his people might learn what William Cooper wrote in his great hymn, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. Listen to his words. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I can't see you or trace you, I know this, by faith, you are with me. When we're in the valley, remember these two things. When we find ourselves in dark places, when we find ourselves in dire straits, we're there not because of bad luck, but because of the shepherd's will. 
because of the Lord's divine providence and because he has a purpose in testing our faith. What is it that Peter said to those suffering saints? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are where we are. Because God has put us there. Don't forget that behind a frowning providence there is a smiling face. And then know this, my friends. Darkness. Winds and storms that would almost rip us apart spiritually are the Lord's tools that he employs to draw us near to himself. Because they all belong to him. He makes, he makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He dwells in dark clouds. And so by faith we walk forward into that valley. Knowing that while we can't see him. He sees us. And while we can't understand the whys or the wherefores, we trust his wisdom and we obey his word. For we believe that God is at the heart of every sorrow, every injustice which has grieved us and broken us. He himself is surely the hope of our every need, the hearer of our every cry, the healer of our every disease, the helper in ages past and in the ages to come, the hand that will always hold me. You, O Jehovah, are with me. Therefore, there is no experience I endure, but that you did not ordain it. And I am never, never alone. We walk through the valley by faith in an unseen yet ever-present shepherd. The valley is where our faith is tested. And secondly... The valley is, 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 is where our fears are stilled. It's where our fears are stilled. Notice David's confidence. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Is it not true, my dear Christian brother and sister, that there are times when in our lives... And even, even sometimes in a church corporately, that, that we do not sense 
the Lord's presence with us. There are times in your Christian walk in life, if you haven't experienced it, you will, when God seems to withdraw himself. But nevertheless, the fact is, as I've already stated, he always sees us. So that it, it, it's not my sensing of him or seeing him that comforts my trembling heart, but the fact that his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he's watching me. The Lord saw Jacob at Bethel, and he saw Abraham and Moriah, and he saw Daniel in the den, and he saw Jonah in the great fish, and he saw Daniel under the fig tree, and Saul on the Damascus road, and John on Patmos, and he sees you, and he sees me here, there, and everywhere. And thus David, engulfed by deep darkness, declares, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. And that word evil can refer to the wickedness of men, that which is harmful, that which is dreadful, a disaster, a disease. Whatever shape or form that evil might take, David says, I will fear not. Now, while I have never counted them, I am told that those two words, fear not, are the most re reported and repeated command in the Bible. It has been said that there are 365 fear nots in the Bible. One for every day of the year. Why the repetition? Because the Lord knows our frailty of faith and our propensity to fear. So what is the avenue fear chooses to take? In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul wrote, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. He tells here, he speaks here, he writes here, first of all, of a reprimand. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And then he gives us a reminder of what God has given us, a spirit of power and love and self-control. This means that fear arises when we fail to remember and realize whose we are and what has been graced to us. In other words, it's faith that conquers fear. But, but faith is not an automatic. It's a manual. What do I mean? Faith is something you have to put into gear. You remember when Jesus calmed the storm? What did he ask his disciples? Interestingly, he didn't ask, do you have faith? He simply said to them, where 
is your faith? Why haven't you employed it? Why haven't you put it into gear? Why haven't you used it? It's meant to be employed. Where is your faith? So what is the answer to fear? By faith, you refuse to panic. Don't allow the situation you are in to control you. Don't give in to the circumstances that would try to master you and consume you. Panic is a sign of unbelief. Trust in him at all times. And then by faith, remember the past. Remind yourself of the Lord's grace and goodness to you in the past. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. His interventions in your life in the past, his faithfulness to you in the past, his mysterious yet mighty ways. Ask yourself, quote to yourself, Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good, for we, we know what we know is what helps us to hope. Remember the past. Why, why do we have the communion table? What's the, what's the message of the communion table? What did Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of me. Why did he give it to us? Because our faith is so weak. That he wants to remind us again and again and again of the depth of his love and the wonder of his grace and his majesty and his mercies to us. Do this in remembrance of me. Our faith is fortified at this table. So refuse to panic, remember the past, and then by faith repeat the promises. What does the Lord promise? us. He promises us valleys. He promises us deep days of darkness. He promises us trials and tribulations. Don't be surprised, says James. And yet with each comes encouragement. Take heart. Take heart. How? Why? Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. He is now at our Father's side, reigning and ruling for his people. And so the words of the prophet Isaiah, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a wonderful verse of comfort. It's something that maybe this afternoon would be good to take and memorize, meditate upon, and live your life on it. David says, I'll fear no evil, because I know you are with me. The valley is where our faith is tested. The valley is where our fears are still.
And thirdly and finally, the valley is where our foes are vanquished. The valley is where our foes are vanquished. How do we have victory in the valley? How is the deep darkness defeated? How is it that we get to, and don't miss it in the text, how is it that we get to walk through the valley? How is it that like Helen Rosevear, we walk into it, but we come out of it? Well, two points and I'm done. And the first is this. Look at the weapons that are mentioned here in the text. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was the shepherd's primary offensive weapon for protecting the sheep. It was about, probably something about, about that size. Cut off from a tree with the root end at the end, rounded off, and frequently embedded with heavy pieces of iron. If you have any idea what an Irish shillelagh looks like, that's what it looks like. A stick with a big clump on the end that will do you a heap of damage. It was a formidable weapon. You can read of David's success with it in 1 Samuel 17. By it, the shepherd ruled and exercised his authority and dominion and might. And so the words of the second Sam in verse 9, speaking of heaven's king, it says, you will, the enemies who would raise their fist against God, he will break them with a rod of iron. And he'll dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The rod. The staff. Well, this was lighter and this was longer. It's that which the shepherd would lean upon. Climb with it. And direct his sheep with it. At one end was a crook by which a shepherd that had stumbled into a crevasse could be rescued. Or into a stream could be lifted back up. And these, these two instruments formed, formed a pair the rod for protection, repelling the enemy, and the staff for preservation, rescuing the sheep. And both brought comfort to the sheep, as they were designed to do. For Jehovah, our good shepherd, both protects and preserves his sheep. And at the end of the day is able to say, I have lost none. I have lost none. And again, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And again, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I may be facing pain. I may be facing persecution from my friends, peer pressure at school, being bullied. I may even be facing death. But this is my comfort. My shepherd is sovereign. 
This is his kingdom, and to him be glory and power. And I shall not want, as the psalm begins, I shall not want, be it provision of green pastures or the protection of his rod and staff. But my friends, we are the Lord's sheep. And we have all that we need to face the trials and the troubles that will inevitably come to us. For our shepherd has a rod and a staff. The weapons mentioned here. And the second thought, consider the warfare implied here. Yes, darkness at times does hide his, his lovely face. But we rest on his unchanging grace. The grace that protects and preserves and will present us blameless before the presence of his glory. Because you see, the truth of the matter is, my friends, the battle belongs to the Lord. Read verse 4 again. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they will comfort me. Did you notice what he says here? It's obvious that we miss it so often. Sheep don't have rods. Sheep don't have staffs. Shepherds have rods and staffs. And that's the cause of our comfort. That's the source of our security. That's the hope of our glory. The quote, Luther's favorite psalm, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And so the Lord responds in that psalm, be still, he says, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so the psalmist concludes, the Lord of hosts, the God of might, the God who controlled the armies of heaven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Why the valley? Why do we face days of trial and darkness and tears and pain and distress? Why failure and frustration while weakness and inadequacy? Why is the Christian life at times so demanding? My friends, the valley is the place where communion is renewed. Where the he becomes the you. Where we genuinely seek his presence. It is the place where confidence is restored. That his promise I will never, never, on no account, leave you. And so we learn to trust him. And it's the place where courage is repaired. Because it's his plan that there we may learn of him and lean of him and derive comfort from the fact that he's fighting the battle. We walk by faith, leaning on the everlasting arms. And so go home with this. 
go home with this. Valleys, dark times come, but they are not our final destination. They come to pass. We go through them, and we go out the other side. Because the Lord is our shepherd. Not he. You, Lord. You are the one I'm looking to, trusting in, and hoping in. Let's pray. Father, write your word on our hearts. Feed our souls. Calm our fears. Strengthen our faith. Help us to know our weakness, that we may delight in your strength. Oh, Father, may we continue to know, even today, that you are on our right hand, and you are sufficient for whatever comes to us. For whatever comes to us has come from your hand. Do us good now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.